0: Good day, my friends, and welcome to the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast. Today's show is brought to you by Diadora, brand made legendary by Bjorn Borg, currently worn by world number 28, Jan-Leonard Struff, world number 34, Alejandro Davidovich Fokina, and world number 61, Martina Trebizond See them at Diadora.com. He was born and raised in a small town close to Novi Sad, Serbia and in 2019 got to 23 in the world. He has posted wins over Andy Murray, Daniil Medvedev, and Casper Ruud. and he was the last man to defeat his friend, countryman, and 2023 French Open champion, Novak Djokovic, which he did just a few weeks ago in Banya Luka. Duzan Laevich is today's guest.
1: You're in Belgrade? That's correct, yeah, I'm in Belgrade, um been here for the last three weeks.
0: Hang on a second. And what was your day like yesterday? What was what's it like this morning coming off of your Davis Cup teammate, your friend's historic victory?
1: Well, I mean honestly I can say it's uh, much more relaxed watching it from the bed, but um it was just I, I felt trembles watching it, you know, and especially like coming to an end of a of a match like that. It was I, I was just Sweating, I, I, I'm sweating right now when I when I think about it because making that kind of uh, achievement, especially in today's era, and uh, being 36, and you know, being uh, on and off the court last couple of years, and having a lot of issues in terms of uh, having like a standard schedule to post COVID schedule, which was not great, and uh, you know, with all the restrictions and everything, I think this makes it even more. Um, how how should I put it? It it makes a statement even greater, and uh, I, I I just I just feel happy that he he was able to do it and and become a leader in that
0: race. Gentlemen, you hear, former world number twenty three. Not that long ago, you were twenty three, correct? Not that long ago, I think two years maybe or something like that. Former world number twenty three, one of the uh, teammates of. Novak Djokovic, one of his paisans, one of his countrymen, Duzan Um Duzon uh, It's great to hear from you. It's great to meet you. Thank you for joining the show. Thanks for having me, and it's great to be here. As you know, we do a five-set format. The first set is the off-the-court report. So is it true that you got chickenpox in Paris? Yeah. Uh, I mean it was
1: very unfortunate because they popped out on the day of my match. Come on. Yeah. So I, I woke up and I saw all these spots around my face and first of all I thought maybe it was a mosquito bites or whatever. I then checked for bed bugs, I couldn't find any. I went straight to the to the club. I went straight to the doctor's um office. And I got examined by two doctors. So it, it, it is the varicella chicken pox. And they assured me that I can play. I was playing later on that day. And for me, uh, it was a little bit weird that they allowed me to play. Um, I tried to go on the court, but I mean, obviously, first of all, it's dangerous to play with chicken pox when you're um adult and secondly i, I started getting itches all around and uh started getting headaches and fever so i i had to pull out and i'm still here um this is my third week in self isolation slash
0: being at home in bed listen you're a little old for chickenpox are you sure that it's not shingles no chickenpox no no chickenpox yeah
1: yeah i know i'm old and and um i i didn't have it as a kid you know uh, I went to five different places where they had these chicken pox parties, as as you probably um, know about this, and I never got them, so it was really uh, surprising for me
0: to get it now, and I mean unfortunate to be in a grand slam. Just talking about it, sound you you sound very disappointed. I mean, just how disappointing is it to miss a major?
1: For me, first of all, Paris was one of uh, my more successful grandsons and I was playing pretty well on clay in the last couple of uh, months. You know, I I did the golden swing in South America. After that, I played good in Europe. Um, I got sick a little bit in Madrid after Madrid. So um, I did have a little, I would say, uh, a little obstacle there. But then uh, I was feeling ready and I was feeling good for Paris. I went uh, a couple of days earlier to prepare I was practicing well, and then on the day of the match, I woke up with with this shit, which was. Um, I mean, <laughs> there's nothing you can really there's nothing you can really do about it. It's it's just unfortunate, and you know you gotta make
0: peace with it because what can you do? And did any other players get chicken pox, and they didn't tell us? I mean, it wasn't an announced. I don't think it was very publicized. Not that I'm aware of. I mean, um, I didn't. I, I tried to. Um,
1: be as far from people as i could and uh i didn't use the locker room after the match I, I went straight to the hotel i took all the towels with me so i don't know i i tried to do all the necessary precautions but the french doctors they even told me you can fly out it, there is no restrictions in france regarding this but i stayed for a week in hotel in a in a hotel room in paris to just uh, try to get better because i had fever and and also not to fly when I'm infectious, and um, I flew a week later, and then I came home, so I'm recovering here.
0: live it's doing the right thing when he's not feeling well. Uh, well, that's disappointing. What happens to you next? When, when are you going to start practicing? What's going on?
1: Well, I, I have a doctor's appointment this week, actually, and then um, I'm waiting for all the For all the spots to fall off, Um, it they say it takes to up to 21 days, so I'm hoping that it's going to be shorter than that. And then Wimbledon is 50-50 for me. I'm going to try and get ready for Wimby and try to be in shape, but I don't know how it's going to be. If there are no complications uh, post-chickenpox recovery process, I think that um, I'm going to try to play in London, but if not, then I'll just um, start a week or two later.
0: My man, I have to say, you do, uh, you are the first player that we've interviewed at the Craig Shapiro Tennis Podcast that's been on the men from chicken pox.
1: <laughs>
0: well, great to be the first. <laughs> now, let's move into the second set. This is the on the court report. What do you say about Novak? I mean, uh, one word consistency.
1: If I need to elaborate, I think that. Consistency in his tennis, consistency in his career, consistency in the amount of the years that he's played, consistency in the way he fights on the court. It's just that everything is on such a high level that it's hard to compete against, you know? And seeing the final, I mean, he he just played his game. He didn't change anything. He didn't switch up too much as uh, opposite to, for example, semifinals where I think he changed a little bit his technique. And, uh, he was a little bit more ag- aggressive than usual. I think he was attacking, um, Carlos's forehand side a little bit more than, um, what other players were doing against Alcaraz. And I think it was working. He was trying to catch him on the, on the wrong foot in the forehand side, um, playing backhands down the line on the, on the left leg from stretching. It's something that is not natural. And it's something that it looks easy when he does it, but. Honestly, I, I I don't know if uh, you can explain it in plain, simple English, how difficult it is. Well, hold on. So
0: what you're saying is that when Novak stretches wide in the ad court and hammers the down the line backhand, that's otherworldly. And you're saying that he was doing that to Carlitos to wrong foot him? Is that what it was? Is he trying to well, wrong? Well, him? no, this was, this, was pro, this was the defensive tactic, I would say.
1: But when he was on the offensive, he was attacking Carlos's forehand side. And normally, um, Carlos is a little bit, I would say, reminding me of um, Tsonga's movement on the court. Once he hits the first forehand, his balance shifts a little bit towards the backhand side, towards to play the inside out. So if Novak takes it early and goes down the line, or with the forehand goes back to his forehand, then he's a little bit off balance, running to the forehand. Obviously, it looks very simple when you're saying in theory, but like to to do that on the court for for such a long period of time, it's not easy. And the defensive backhand down the line is, I mean, first of all, you need to be very flexible in your um, thoracic uh, part of the back, where he's on the full split, uh, almost full split turning all the way and then having power, producing such a power from there. I mean, it's just it's just genetics, strength, and uh, also talent. And finals, I would say that he was playing his own game, but you could see how much his ball has depth in the court. I mean, this is something that probably was so uncomfortable for Casper, who likes to have some time, who likes to swing, and likes to have a big swing where he can produce a lot of power, but when you need to play half wallies or or going from the back foot and 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 try to attack it's just you saw how many uh mistakes he started making in the second and the third set because he just didn't have enough time and uh you could say that yeah this is the tactics tactics just don't give time to casper but to do it it's not that simple so i mean it makes it it makes it uh look easy on the court but that's just the beauty of it
0: Casper Rude looked totally disheveled. I mean, it was four all in the third set. You know, it felt like he was sort of right there. But then mentally, he just seemed like a shell of himself, shattered. And it seemed like Novak, at least to me, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, but it seemed to me that Novak had completely taken his legs, that he was he was just trying to knife the backhand because he just couldn't get there anymore that he had completely he had completely wiped him out
1: you you start feeling probably hopeless on the court when you don't see any any um space to make your points you know when it's so hard to to win the points against novak and it's so hard to make him um, be off balance it 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 it's it just it kills you probably emotionally as well and physically yes but i think if the result was one set all and, you know, for all, maybe Casper wouldn't feel like that, but being two zero down and for all, and you were feeling like you're doing the best you could, but it's still not enough. It's just draining you mentally so much. And that's why you look physically tired, but then again, you look uh, emotionally flat and, and, and it's, it's like you're, you're lost. And all you want to do is just go to the locker room. And, and I mean, we saw that Novak, was actually maybe feeling the moment a little bit in the end because he was trying to fist uh, fist pump himself and trying to, you know, um, maybe take his focus out of the importance of the moment, but he was able to, you know, finish the work uh, pretty easily. I would say, you know, they they didn't um, lose the the game serving for the match, which is very important. Uh, He, he continued doing what he was doing the whole match and, that's the that's the thing, like it looks so simple, but honestly only one man can do it like that.
0: Only one man can do it like that, and how good is casper Rude? i mean to how to 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 make him look like the way he made him look is just unbelievable
1: yeah, i mean casper it's his most successful grand Slam, and obviously even he was struggling last couple of uh months, you could see that coming into Paris he feels some kind of extra confidence there because uh, probably considering he played good in the past there, all those uh, emotions come up on the surface and give you some extra motivation, confidence. So I think that um, he was deservingly in the finals because um, he won all of his matches relatively easily. And uh, and, he, and he
0: dismantled Alexander Zverev.
1: Who... Exactly. I, I honestly didn't expect that, but, you could see that he, his quality is there, but you know, this is another level. It's like you have layers of onion where you have players who are Casper, Zverev, all the others, and then you have another layer where there is Novak, Rafa, Roger, whatever, you know.
0: Let me ask you this, Tucson. Yeah. They say that Casper Rude hits the heaviest forehand there is, the hardest, heaviest forehand there is, Is, is and, and obviously Alcaraz is there now too. Is that true? What's it like? To- uh, well,
1: I have played both and um, I played Rafa as well. For me, Rafa is the most difficult forehand, obviously being a lefty and going to my one hander, for example. That's why I feel that way. But I think uh, it's probably top five of the heaviest forehands. You know, I've played him actually a couple of times and uh, you you really feel it, especially if it's bouncy and if if, if he's feeling it and if he's pushing you, it's it's. It's really hard once he takes the initiative with the forehand. So it's, for me, he played really tactically well starting the match, Casper, and he did all that he could do in a proper way. But I think it was just, you know, there's not much that he could do in this match that maybe he could have win the first set and then we would see a different um, tennis. But what
0: if it's not really a debate? It was six all. It was a tiebreaker, Novak won the breaker seven. Yeah, one. I mean the statistics
1: in in a tiebreak in this in this tournament is just off the charts. I mean, not making one un, unforced error in four or five tiebreaks. It, it, it's I, I don't know how you do that.
0: Duzan is smiling. For our listeners, what Dusan just said is true. Novak did not make one unforced error in all the tiebreakers he played in all seven matches. That's just um. That's, I mean, you're laughing again. I mean, there's like no such I, thing I as that. Know. Can they can they see me? Is this uh? No, 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 no. Just audio. Be, oh, just oh, audio. Okay. Yeah. My expressions don't matter, right? But it's funny, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, it's sick.
1: Honestly, it's I I've sick. never heard a statistic like that. I mean, that's. That's like what uh, twenty-eight plus some extra points. It's like close to forty points without making an unforced error. It's... what can you tell us about Novak that we don't know? <sighs> um, can I be frank here? I mean, he's a tough motherfucker. I don't he's know tough. if I can say that he's tough. I mean, all all the things that he does, he does it to improve his tennis. And you know,
0: um, but there is there is a big big for me. Um, Hold on a second. Explain that. What do you mean he's a tough motherfucker? What does that mean? What do you mean by that? How tough is he? Well, that means that, you know, um doesn't matter
1: the occasion, you you want to fight, you know? And we saw with 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 the things where he was you not know, playing tennis but fighting in different circumstances, you know? He fight until the last moment. And and, and this is what, you know, he cannot be selective about his character. He cannot fight on the tennis court and not fight for what he stands for. You know, it it wouldn't be, it would be very paradoxical. But in this term, for me, the important is that everything he does off the court, he does strongly believing it is for his tennis and for his obviously health. But if something can help him improve his tennis 1%, he's going to do it. He will also try different things if thinking is going to help him. But if they're not, helping him he can dismantle them really easily without any emotional attachment which is for me really difficult you know we blame ourselves most of the time when we do something and it doesn't go our way and then uh, we try to find reasons excuses and all that but you know he he forgets really quickly I think the things that maybe he did something that was not very good for him he just um, forgets about it and moves on which is which is a really great skill
0: to have you know why did he play lousy against Medvedev at that U.S. Open when he had a chance to, you know, complete the Grand Slam? Uh, I feel like
1: that's the only match where I thought that he got really tight, you know. Maybe, you know, paralysis from analysis, that's how it looked for me, you know, because he was probably calculating too much in his head, and and, and once you're – um analyzing things while trying to play it's very it's very difficult and you can get blocked on the court you can get tight and you can also he could have been tired I mean it was a long year he he won three grand slams so it's not like a uh, walk in the park it's just another final It it looks like it's one match just another final but at the end of the day it's much more you have all the baggage from the whole season still there you know and the what I wanted to say about the 1% and whatever it can help him, I, I would like maybe to maybe help some younger children or whatever young tennis players, because I see a lot of that in, in, in Serbia now, but also around the world where parents have their kids or coaches or whatever, they have their kids practicing and they show them the diet of Novak or, or the yoga that he's doing or this or that. And then the kids are following the, this footsteps and they're doing the diet doing this doing that but no because novak did all the things before and then once making his forehand cross court cannot get better he cannot improve 30 percent he can improve one percent and then he gets one percent from the diet from meditating from yoga from this from that doesn't matter but he gets one percent there but the kids think if they do everything the way novak is doing they're they're okay and they they don't feel the responsibility to improve in tennis i'm saying simply just learn how to play cross court without making mistakes and you're going to improve 30 percent not one percent and this is what you need you don't need a diet when you're 15 16 i mean obviously you can eat burgers all day but i mean if you're eating balanced diet it's going to be okay because you need to learn first things first and this is you know this is where sometimes people get mixed up and they're like, yeah, but now he's doing this. Yeah, but he's doing that because he needs that 0.7% to improve to get better. He cannot improve 10% now. He can only improve very small amount of, of percentage, you know?
0: He's 36 years old. How insane is it that he's essentially hospitalizing 20-year-olds, 24-year-olds, literally putting them into full body cramps, 20-year-olds world number ones i mean how otherworldly is this
1: i mean his his body is probably in a top shape i mean if you could compare his years it's probably top five years of his uh, career he's not playing that
0: now you mean now Now, yeah yeah yeah, he's, he's that good
1: now I mean, yeah, he doesn't have any major injuries. You know, he's got issues with whatever. Everybody has issues with the body. It's a part of uh, being a professional athlete. But if you look the way he handled the whole Grand Slam, and I mean, he's getting tired, but you can see that he has stamina for much more. And uh, this is incredible. I mean, this is a part of that is from taking uh, care about his body for such a long time in such a good way. And it's making him... Have the longevity to play until he's, I don't know, 40, 45. I mean, you can just guess. I mean, we cannot predict that kind of thing, but
0: have you spoken to Novak? You sent him a note, do you ever did you talk to him? Do you know how long he was how long he wants to play? Come on, you gotta give us something. Mm-hmm. Our show's an insider show. <laughs> All right, yeah. So he
1: told me he wanna play until fifty one. But that was a joke. Uh no, I mean I, I- I honestly don't know and and I, I really want to see how it's going to develop in the next couple of years because I, I, I've said it in an interview a couple of days ago, I feel like he can win a lot more Grand Slams but I also feel that he needs somebody to push him because Rafa and him were pushing each other and Roger until he um, retired so I feel like for them they need that extra motivation from the back that somebody is behind them because let's say if uh, Rafa and Roger are not playing Novak is having 25 26 grand slams and then you have maybe Medvedev or Alcaraz with a couple grand slams behind him they're not a threat to him so the motivation needs to come from within and I think that maybe this will be difficult but maybe not you know I don't know I'm just I'm just really looking forward to see how it's going to develop in the next uh, couple of years because First of all, I'm I'm a tennis fan myself as well.
0: What's it like to be on the opposite side of the net from him? What's it like to practice with him? What's it like to play?
1: Oh, well, it's it's definitely tense. I mean, we played in Banyaluka maybe two months ago uh, in the quarterfinals. Um, prior to that, I played twice, and I got my ass kicked both times. So this was really probably the best match of my career where um, – <clears throat> Where I've beaten him, but you know, um,
0: Hang it's on a really... he was ailing, or uh, so it seemed. You had to play the best match of your life to beat him.
1: Well, probably top three best matches of my career, but especially because you know, um, we're from the same country, you basically played in front of the home crowd, all that gives you extra pressure. So, you know, I felt like I was playing against, uh, couple of different opponents you know so in terms of uh, putting in perspective this was probably the most difficult match to win in my career I would say on the other hand you know everything has to be not perfect but you know you need to be there from the first to the last point because even if he just has that small chance he's gonna take it you know and uh I I I've dealt with all the pressure situation during the whole match really well and and eventually that gave me the win. But, you know, it's a different ball game playing best of three and best of five against these greats and especially against Novak when he goes and plays best of five. He gets totally different because, you know, he is aware that nobody can kick him off the court. They need to grind three to five hours to beat him. And he knows that this is where he's thriving, you know, in this long matches where you need to take everything from yourself and he's going to suck all the stamina that you have and, 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 and just torture you on the court with, you know, just being consistent and, and, and making you play an extra shot and, and breaking you on your return on your service games and, and really serving well in the last 10 years. I mean, his serve improved a lot. I mean, that's a statistic on it, on its own, you know?
0: How good is his serve? Goran has said that his serve is amongst the best on tour and that it's extremely underrated.
1: Yeah, because it's really hard to read
0: and uh, it's
1: very precise and he's mixing it up really well, especially the fast second serves with the slow ones. So this is something that it's not talked about a lot, but I think it it probably makes his... And it's much easier being this late in his career, you know, because what would happen if he would be serving a little bit worse and maybe having to play a little bit longer and whatever, you know, struggling with the serves? But because he's improved in this aspect so so well, it gives him probably the the calm mind to to be able to not be afraid to get into the match and know that it's gonna last three hours, four hours, five hours.
0: Now, did you ever go eat like a ton of chavapi and knock back, you know, 15 beers with him? Did you guys ever go wild? Oh, well, he, he,
1: I mean, he didn't eat meat. I don't know for how long, but we actually, during the ATP Cup that we won, we were going to a um, vegan restaurant in Sydney, was it? And we were really eating a lot and they had also all the alternatives for the meat. So that was really good and uh one glass of wine is enough for him i mean i think if he would <laughs> drink 15 beers he would be probably uh under the table he doesn't he doesn't get loose he keeps it pretty tight well yeah i mean that's his um that's his way of getting loose you know get a glass of wine and a piece of bread and he's like i'm loose
0: um <laughs> <laughs> uh, what are, what what can you tell us about the ptpa what can you tell us about uh a Saudi Arabia Live golf situation on the horizon for tennis? Is any is there any truth to any of this?
1: Well, um I'm not aware of it, but I only heard rumors and uh, regarding the PTPA, I think that they did quite a good job in the last couple of months. I mean, I, I I'm not involved a lot, but I feel like they've shifted their focus a little bit on trying to help players from the outside instead of maybe commuting with the ATP and trying to, you know, um, show all the negatives of ATP or the positives or what needs to be changed and done. Because, you know, it's tough. It's a closed uh, environment and it's been like this for century or whatever. I mean, when was the ATP founded? 70-something the ATP was founded as an association of tennis professionals. So to be a governing body to help the players, but somehow that all got mixed up with the um, agencies and managers and tournaments and, and everything. So it's really, it's really a machinery now that is probably profiting much more than um, a lot of other big sports in terms of, you know, ratio, how much the players earn, like comparing to similar sports, but the PTA, PTPA is trying to uh, sell tennis as as or whatever, or help players that cannot really get the help they need through alternative deals, I think. And, you know, as they're mentioning uh, over and over again, not enough people live from tennis being professional tennis players you know only a top 100 I don't know maybe top 50 now they can probably from 100 to 200 they can finish the year being like even with the money financially but this is if they're traveling without the coach or whatever you know so I think that there need to be a way to make these people live off tennis because they're number 200 in the world I don't know if you're a number 200 doctor in the world you're gonna I'm not comparing these two professions or whatever, but if you're number two hundred in the world in other profession, you're gonna be pretty successful. But in tennis, it's uh, it's not like that. So
0: no, you've been on is... tour. How many years have you been on tour?
1: I think this is my eleventh, um, tenth, or eleventh
0: year. So in eleven in eleven years, you've made about nine million dollars on the court. Yeah, that's not that's not great, man. To be the twenty third best player in something, if you were in the NBA. You'd have made, you know, two hundred million. Yeah,
1: I mean, in eleven you know, years. Exactly. I mean, you know, it's it's not comparable, but at the end of the day, you know, you feel like, what if
0: things were different? But I mean, I mean, don't get days, me wrong. I'm sure that have have done what you've done is amazing. I don't. No, know. no. I mean,
1: to <laughs> be number twenty three or whatever, to be number fifteen or ten in the world, and and you know, making certain amount of money, it's it's a lot but comparing to these other sports it's it's peanuts but on the other hand mm, what i feel that tennis helps you with is it makes you very um independent from the early age because you especially if you're not from a big federation countries you start thinking about the financials about the, your life how to set everything up and 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 you're set for life even if If you don't, if you, even if I don't play tennis anymore, I can whatever work as a coach and earn really good money, which doesn't come in other sports, whatever you make good contacts from tennis. You, you meet a lot of interesting people. If you want to get into other businesses, you have opportunities.
0: I call that like a lifetime achievement award. You did something special in tennis and tennis will take care of you. You could become a tournament director. You could become a manager, an agent. I just saw Gallo Blanco, the player. He's now an eight. You know, I see all these guys, but but that's not guaranteed. You still gotta make it happen. But 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 it's sort of a lifetime achievement award.
1: Yeah, uh, you gotta hustle. But um, I think that, for example, I'm I'm out of these conversations for like maybe two or three years. But I remember that Grand Slams, for example, the revenue on the Grand Slam is Pretty big, And in terms of what they're sharing with the players, it's, it's not that big. It's like 7% men, 7% women. So it's 14% in total of the whole revenue. And maybe this improved a little bit of the last years. I'm not sure. But they are improving the prize money. But they're um, reducing the percentage because the revenues get bigger and bigger. Uh, I think that players who play Grand Slams should secure their year from the Grand Slams itself, minimum. So, you know, if you, it's not like you're going to Grand Slam to lose the first round and win the money. You're going to Grand Slam because you've played certain period of time really good to give yourself a chance to enter to the Grand Slam. And this is a prize itself. So the financial sides of Grand Slams should be good enough for players to not think about their financials of the year, you know, during the whole year. And this is just the bottom level. Like if you're struggling there you're playing challengers whatever you, you know these guys i think these guys are struggling a lot you know you're playing challengers for one thousand dollar five thousand dollars if you win ten thousand i don't know and and they got to travel, they got to have coaches and everything and and this is what what tennis makes so difficult you know there is no guarantee that you will return the money you invested in yourself or somebody else invested because it's just so difficult i mean Okay, we can talk how good it is and being top player in the world and this and that. But there's 99 percent of the guys behind us who who didn't make it and 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 you know whose families are destroyed. Whatever. I'm, I'm talking a little bit more about the maybe Eastern, Southeastern European countries or 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 countries where tennis is still kind of like family-based sport because the federations are not very successful and they don't have a lot of money so parents are investing maybe some sponsors friends whatever but it's in in general it's still like a family business sport so you have parents selling their apartments condos just to invest in their kids and you know they're hoping they're putting pressure and then one percent of the kids i I mean even if it's one percent that succeed it's like there is there is a bad side to it you know as long as you have like one Novak, you have hundreds who were not Novak and were there trying to do the same thing. So, you know.
0: Tennis can be extremely, extremely cruel. Let's move into the third set. This is the portion of our show. We talk about your career. Dusan, where does your tennis begin?
1: Um, in a small city between Belgrade, the capital, and the second largest city in Serbia, Novi Sad, where I was um, living until I was 20. Um, I wanted Novi Sad, to play.
0: big tennis, big, big, that's Monica Seles town.
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I, I was in between these two cities in a small village and I wanted to play football. You call it soccer um, as a kid. But for this, for this age, I was maybe seven or eight. They didn't have any any practices for such young kids in the village. And I went there um, to a tennis club where there was a coach who said, okay, bring him one day and let him try. I've tried. And since then, I've never stopped. The other thing is they told me you have to play one-handed backhand. And I said, okay. And I've never stopped.
0: This is how it started.
1: And <laughs> and this is how I've started playing one-hander
0: Hang on a second. What's it like to have been to, to be from Serbia? What's it like to be in this place that has been war torn in such a modern part of our history? What's it like to be from where you're from?
1: Well, I think uh it's probably the some of the toughest periods that we went through is my parents being this age, having kids, you know, of I've lived through two wars, but one was when I was nine years old. The other one when I was much younger, two or three. So the first one I, I didn't feel, but the second one I did. And you know, you just thinking about it, you get you get you get chills, and and
0: and it's it's not a nice feeling. What and, do you mean you 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 lived it when you were nine?
1: Well, uh, I'll give you a story. We went to my at the time tennis coach's wedding, where my father was his best man. And um, I think we left pretty early, around nine o'clock or something like that. And, um, you know, this was 1999 when we were getting bombed by um, NATO. And uh, you hear the sirens before the planes come and and, and drop bombs. So we heard the sirens when we were on our way back, but nothing, driving back home. And um, my, my coach's wife, Calls my parents and they were like very upset. Where are you guys? And started panicking. And we were like, We're 15 minutes away from our home. And they, they and they just told us that they bombed the bridge that we just crossed 15 minutes before because the wedding was in Novi Sad. And Novi Sad to my village is like maybe 35, 40 minutes. So we just crossed the bridge and 15 minutes later, boom, the bridge went down. And all the people probably have stories like that and then lived through experience like that, which which is something that probably defines you or gives you a trauma for life whatever but it also made us have i would say sports as the only way out from the country where it was under the embargo inflation and everything that was going on um sports was actually the only outlet where you could really express yourself in a best positive way you know and if you are uh professional athlete that travels the world you're trying to represent your country in the best possible way and this is something that gives you i would say that it gives you the satisfaction of of what you're doing one of the satisfactions of what you're doing and, and making it like you know you're feeling a little bit proud i think that uh, serbian people are very proud people and they they care a lot about about these things so for me i know my stand that when I started playing in the Davis cup for me, I I was always putting Davis cup on the first place. And even if sometimes it was affecting my uh, individual career in a way, I I said, I know, but this is just my um, decision to be available when they ask me to play for my country, because I think that these are one of the things that, you know, we can give back in in any terms that we can, you know? And um, I, I would say that, probably that's why the serbian people relate so much to the success of athletes from serbia because you know they they're living it through because maybe the the economical social situation in serbia is not the best and i mean right now it's improving but you know uh, you cannot compare it to other great countries so that's that's their way out of you know <clears throat> feeling really good and 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 finding Ways to to feel proud as as being a part of such a small nation that has such a great success. For example, now we have Jokic that can uh, win the NBA with Denver, and in the same week as Novak winning his twenty third Grand Slam. I mean, from from such a small country, it really is something uh, special.
0: I've spoken to Yanko um I've found myself in sort of distasteful conversations with some of, you know, the, the Djokovic fans. Is there that, that, that speak of a Anglo-Saxon media bias? Is that a real thing? Yanko said, it's a real thing that, that the perception of your country is, is that you're thuggish, that you're war people.
1: Well, I I mean, I can't say that I experienced it because I'm a, Much less famous and much less recognizable in in in, in uh, global terms, but I do well, feel. Some... your
0: opinion? What What do you think? Is that something? I do feel
1: true? sometimes it is, but at the end of the day, I mean, the way I look at it, it's like you can't get into this with with this because obviously you always had players from. Eastern countries that were a little bit like villains in terms of tennis world, because tennis was played, you know, in France and England and, and, and Anglo-Saxonics um, mm-hmm. countries where, where they felt like it's their own national sport. And then you have some people from, I don't know, these countries that nobody ever heard of playing and beating everybody. So maybe they feel a little bit affected and then it comes out in, in that way to be biased in terms of, uh uh, reporting and doing, uh, doing. but honestly, I, I've seen both sides. I've seen people who respect it. I've seen people who doesn't respect and, you know, people are people. You have good people, you have bad people, people have good habits, bad habits, so you're going to have that always. The other thing for me is I feel like if Serbia had 200 million people, I think you wouldn't feel that if the market was much bigger, you wouldn't feel that, you know, but coming from a, such a small market in terms of, uh, you know, business wise, it has probably tendations to try to minimize this because, you know, at the end, uh, this world is uh, led by profits. And, and, you know, when you have Roger from Switzerland and then Rafa being Spanish, you know, half of the uh, world speaks Spanish. So, you know, they're going to get, bigger support and, and they're going to get pushed to the top just because you know it makes probably more money but in terms of feeling it yes but also i don't think it's something that needs to be changed i mean at the end of the day it doesn't matter what somebody says about you or thinks about you it's your actions that matter and what do you do
0: let's back to the tennis so you you, you start playing you're forced to have a one-handed backhand. Did it, did it, did that ever try to get changed?
1: Um, not really. And then when I started growing, uh, growing By up... By the way, my... for our
0: listeners, if you've not seen Duzan Lajevic play, he has a beautiful one-handed backhand. Sorry, continue.
1: Yeah, so my idol growing up was Pistol Pete. And, you know, I, I just couldn't change it. I also played servant volley when I was a kid, but that didn't come up being very successful so I had to change my, my game style a little bit and I never tried to change my one-hander backhand it might not be the best in terms of today if I had a kid who wanted to play tennis for sure I would teach him how to play two-hander because I think there is some advantage to it in, in, in today's tennis era playing two-hander than one-hander you can see that there is only a small amount of players that are still playing one hander, and it's like almost a dying uh, breed of players. But it was it was just one of those things where you know you didn't know anything about the sport, and somebody told you, yeah, you should play one hander, and, and that's it. And I've never thought about it, you know.
0: Uh, that was a question from one of my uh, consulieres, one of my one of my Serbian Montenegrin uh, uh Peter uh, Megler. We also have another question from Pete's group. They want to know if Novak ever used you as a sparring partner to get ready for Roger as a result of the one-hander to like just practice abusing the one-hander? No, not
1: really because I normally lose before he gets to
0: play Roger <laughs> in the tournament. So there was no chance,
1: but we did practice uh, plenty of times in the tournaments. I don't know if he wanted to play just because he knew he's going to play Roger or just because we were from the same country or because we were good friends. Of course. But, uh, I was never so far in the tournament that he would, uh, that I would still be around.
0: <laughs> now, when did you start getting good? I mean, you got to, you're, listen, to do what you've done is an incredible thing. What was the competition like? How did you start getting elite?
1: Well, my path was a little bit different. And I think that it, it probably has a lot to do with um, I, me um, coming from a smaller city. And then the, the I, I had to travel to Belgrade to practice. And second of all, I, I I went to school regularly. Also in the high school first year I went normally taking classes and everything. Second year I started just having exams because I couldn't I couldn't have the time anymore to practice as much as I would. So I started practicing much more a little bit later. And I was never I was never the best player in my country in juniors or growing up. And that's what is really um interesting that I was never In the top of the class i was maybe top five which is not very good being in top five in serbia but you know um after after i started just uh, committing completely to tennis without any other distractions like i mean distractionally school school is not a distraction but it's something that you cannot pursue if you're playing tennis you know i had the option to go to college and i was really on the verge of um deciding to go and, and and get a scholarship but I, I told to myself I really want to try and become a professional tennis player, and, and and in thinking that way, there was no no space for me to go to college because I knew if I go to college, I'm just gonna um, chase the academic career. And I really started playing good when I was 21, 22, 23, slowly progressing. I never had an exponential um, an exponential jump to from I don't know 200 to top 50 I was always slowly progressing to the top and uh, no I mean I I never had that exponential jump let's say from 200 to top 50 in in, in a couple of months I was always progressing slowly and when when I broke to top uh, top 100 in 2014 I I, I felt that uh, this was probably something that nobody believed in Serbia I can do because you know I was not supported by federation or or sponsors in that way because I was just not good enough in juniors. And then uh, once I broke into 1200, I had a really good year in 2014. And from then on, I I maybe stayed there for a couple of years until I um, hired Jose Perlas, a Spanish coach who coached uh, three uh, ex-number ones, Carlos Moya, Albert Costa, and Juan Carlos Ferrero. Jose Perlas. Do you train in Marbella?
0: Where were you no, guys? No, in Barcelona.
1: In Barça, uh, Actually, we train in Galo Blanco's club. So so that's where we, we are based. And uh, he also coached Galo Blanco. So he coached a lot of good guys. He coached Correa, Omagro, Feliciano. So all the Spanish guys.
0: This is one of the Spanish Armada go-to guys. Exactly. How did it happen that you got linked with him?
1: Well, um, So he stopped with Fabio and then we started talking and and he said, look, I believe that you can be much better. And and for me, it was a statement enough. If a coach who coached uh, three world number ones believe that I can be better, it's a no brainer. You know, at the time for my financial situation, it was not ideal because I was around 70 when I started with him. And uh, for me at the time, it was all or nothing because, um, as I said, it was too much of a of a piece but i i've i've, I've said with myself and i said i've never played tennis for material again i've played tennis to give my best and see where is my limit
0: i on a second, too much of a piece he was charging you too much personally you didn't want to is that did, do i have that right is that no i mean saying? yeah
1: just just like having such a good coach and good team you know it was it was probably for somebody who is earning closer to top 40 top top 50 you know not somebody who is um who is 70 and not earning as much as he could, you know, uh, but I mean, I told to myself, if you look all the pe- successful people in the world, they, they all risk everything they have at one point in their life to try to succeed. So for me, it was an easy decision because I, I was not in it for the money. I was in it to see where my best is. and 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 this is what led me to start working with him. And since I started working with him, um, I reached 23 and, and you know two ATP titles and played the and finals of masters and whatever. How does it work? You go, you go and practice in Spain. Is that is that how? Yeah, it- so whenever, yeah. So we do the preseason there one month in December and then mm, during the year we have a couple of blocks where you have like a week and then I go there and train. You know, but it really does. is really is not a lot of time. You know. How
0: did he make you better? Well, first of all. Um, Two questions. How did he make you better? And how did you not, like, thrive inside of the Serbian system? I feel like there's a million of you guys that are all just, they're all just cold killing it. Yeah,
1: but I, I don't believe that we have a good system in Serbia. I feel it's very individually that we all made it this far and in a way that we did. Ah, and really? everybody a different a different path. But I still believe there is a lot of uh, space for improvement in, in the way that um, – Tennis is being played in Serbia, especially with fitness and connecting these two tennis and fitness, you know, and making it like the way it should be. So the way he made my tennis better is, first of all, um, we worked much more on my weapons than on my weaknesses because, you know, you can improve your weaknesses. Yes, but if you improve your weaknesses and think they're becoming your strength, then you're forgetting to use your strengths in a proper way. So I, I was improving my forehand and uh, this is a big part of my of my game today. I mean I, I love to play and, and make winners with the backhand, but I'm aware that when I'm threatening with the forehand from anywhere on the court, this is where I make the big buck, let's say, in a in in, in a slang. So um I improved my forehand and uh, and how
0: did you improve the forehand? Like what kind of technique do these Spanish guys sort of try to part on you
1: it's a lot about um, footwork I, I think that there are specific technicalities about the footwork that I improved a lot there is a lot about uh, mentality about uh, believing um, believing in, in what you do in terms of my biggest problem was always that kind of self-belief I always believed deep down in me that that I can play good and I can beat the big players but but I never believed enough that I can do it constantly over and over and this is the thing that um, he helped me do it because he uh, was he made me see the good and the bad because I was always focusing, let's say if I play 10 great shots and then I play one bad shot, I was always focusing on the bad shot and I was forgetting that I hit 10 good shots previously, which makes you kind of like always in a bad mood because you always focus on the bad things, you know? And uh, this is something that that was a big part of my, I would say, mentality that it had to be changed and 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 jose he he went through all of this he know he knows psychologically first of all how players are and secondly he he's been there since 95 he's been to australia every year since 1995 so that's a lot of years and that's a lot of experience so for him this is probably automatically the way how you make the best out of the player and you know we I feel like that as long as you have the same goals with your coach, you're going to be able to find a way to put yourself in a position where you can use your chances. Because normally, you know, not when you're young and an inexperienced player, but when you're getting a little bit older and experienced, you need to find the right coach to have the same goals like you. You need to communicate. You cannot be like, okay, coach, tell me what to do and I'm going to do it and if I don't feel it, I'm going to trust you. Yes, sometimes it works like that, but it's more about... Okay. What do I think about my game? What do you think as a coach about my game? And do we agree that this is what we want to do and how to get better on the court? And if I do all this, what you believe in, if I believe in as well, I feel like then it's a, it's a perfect combination. And a- another part for me is it's a process. You like, if I see that players are changing coaches a lot and constantly then you can't really expect anything in the return if you look at rafa if you look at novak if you look at roger roger they mostly had like their teams for a very long time and yes they changed some key players some in the team but you know the longer they stick to the same persons the the better it feels because then you can really see the difference in a period of a longer time because what can you change when you're 25 and you have a coach for six months or nine months nothing
0: is there um, a distinct Spanish style? Are you a, are you essentially a Spanish player now?
1: I feel like that changed a little bit over the years. I mean, I've had success on hard courts. I had success on clay. My clay clay is my most preferred surface. But just because I grew up here in Serbia, where we had mostly clay court tennis, I and I didn't go as a kid somewhere else to practice. So I feel the most comfortable on clay. But today. 70% of the tour is on hardcore. So you, you gotta you gotta find a way to be better player there. And 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 for me, I feel like I can play all around pretty good, but I feel like that I can maximize my weapons the best on clay court.
0: Is it time? What is it about the surface? Is it the time you have oh, I to- do like
1: I do like I do like when you have um uh, fast balls on clay because I, I I like to use my kicks and and, and different kind of rhythm, you know, to change rhythm and change heights of the ball. And uh, I I feel the best when I can dominate with my one, two shots. If I can serve good and have the first shot dominant, then I feel that I'm in control and and it doesn't matter for me um, who is on the other side, because I feel like I I, I can, with two, three shots, I can gain the advantage in 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 the court, opposite to sometimes indoor hard courts, for example, where... Due to being indoor, you don't have a lot of um, uh, change of rhythm. You know the ball don't go so high. So there, I feel like maybe the least the least comfortable, and I feel like that's that's maybe the the difference between why I'm more successful here than there.
0: Can you get better? Can you get? Can you be better than twenty three? Are of your best days behind you? Yeah, last year I dropped in rankings a lot, and I had to play some
1: challengers, and at the end I I, I had to. Have a honest conversation with myself, and the way I, I I see it is, I believe that I can still be as good as I was. Otherwise, I don't think I would play tennis just to be number eighty in the world. It is not something that drives me. What drives me is to try and be better than I was, and and I do believe. I mean, I won an ATP this year, and I I don't know. I was for most part of the year I was t- around twenty in the race, so I feel like. I can still have my best years ahead of me. Otherwise I don't think I would still be going. Well, you just
0: beat the best player in the history of the world a, a, a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> and you play and you played Alcaraz very tight.
1: Yeah. We played three times
0: actually this year. What's it like to be on the other side of the, of the net from Carlitos?
1: It's very tense. I think that um, he, he takes a lot of time off of you and, um, for me it feels like he takes away feels- your time he takes away your time he takes away the time and he feels the game so good with the drop shoots and changing of the rhythm that you know he's made for these great moments the, the 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 more important the moment is the more pressure point is the better he feels that's how i feel and and this is really tough you know i lost uh, for example in rio in two tight sets i lost 7 5 7 6 with having set points and uh the times when I had set point or some advantages to go ahead, he played the best, and this tells you that he is not gonna run away, run away from 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 this type of situation, and that he really is there for for a
0: reason. When you approach these matches, when you're playing the Medvedevs, the Djokovic's, the Alcaraz, do you go in thinking, "Listen, man, I can I can beat this player." Or do you say, "Oh man, you know what? I got no shot. Let me just try to put on a good show. Mm. Make sure I look good on the court."
1: Yeah, it's mixed. I I think there are there are different feelings, different type of situations, and you know, uh, I mean, last time I played Novak, I I, I beat him. Last time I played um, Alcaraz, I lost. Last time I played Casper, I beat him. Last time I played uh, Rublev, I beat him. So. I feel like these kind of matches uh probably motivate me more to 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 try and uh give my best but there there have been times where in these kind of matches I also um got super tight and 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 I just choked and and that's what I mean by saying you know analysis paralysis by analysis you know i'm I'm trying to calculate too many things. Am I gonna be good enough for this guy? Am I gonna be able to do what I do on the court? Am I gonna be able to beat this guy? Is it gonna be fun for the fans? Is it gonna be good for whatever my team? What what my team is gonna think? What what's gonna happen? You know. And and once I get into this analyzing part, I feel like it's the worst for me to go on court and play. Once I'm clear-minded and once I'm trying to you know dissociate myself from these external things that I cannot control is when I let loose and, and, and play my best. And I think this is really what is very hard to do, but what the tops are doing over and over from week in, week week out. And, and this is what separates them from, from the rest, you know. They are able to shift their focus only in, in the moment, only to be here and now, not to be in the future and, and, and in the
0: past. On live it's giving it to us straight. Let's move into the fourth set. This is the 10 ball scramble. I just say it you say what comes in your mind, you ready? all right your ready. favorite tournament
1: Indian Wells. why? I just love to play there I, I I love the setting I love the mountains in the background. I love the California vibe I love um I love uh the atmosphere I don't know it's just perfect tennis paradise.
0: Your best endorsement deal Wilson you've got a good relationship with Wilson yeah I've been with them all my life. Uh, Let's just ask then, which racket?
1: Uh, Wilson Pro Staff
0: 6.1, the old one. Wilson Pro Staff 6.1, the gift that keeps on giving. Big smile. You love that racket. Now, what size is your grip?
1: Uh, Three. Size three and three quarters, I think, three quarters or whatever.
0: Four and three eighths. Four and three eighths, yeah. Do you use a leather grip with an overwrap?
1: No, no, no.
0: Tried, but but
1: yeah, I've tried, but I couldn't. I couldn't get used to it.
0: Do you play with a cushion grip? Right. Cushion. and is and do you put an over grip over it or no? Just the grip. I do. I do. I put the over grip. Yes, I put the white over grip. The white Wilson over grip. Yeah, that's how you do it. And how often do you change the grip? Um,
1: every practice,
0: every match. But you use the same one throughout the whole match. You won't change during the match or you will? Well, no, because they change
1: rackets. So I always play with the new.
0: Yeah. How often do you change rackets? Um, I change them when when we get new balls. So every new ball, I change the racket. So you change after seven, then after nine games each time. Exactly. Uh, And how about your string setup? What do you do for strings?
1: I'm using AluPower 125 and I'm stringing 20. Twenty-three and a half, twenty-two lately. This is this is my attention lately.
0: Twenty-three, twenty-three so, kilos. 23 now, and a half and
1: twenty-two crosses. Yeah.
0: That's, and that's about uh fifty pounds, generally speaking. Um a little bit under that. Um your greatest win, I think I must have been Banya Luka, but
1: yeah, Banyaluka for sure.
0: Novak Djokovic, Banya Luka. Now here's the, that's incredible. What did you do after that match?
1: I went straight to uh, to the plane and and flew to Madrid. No party. I I, I didn't even I didn't even eat after the match because I was late for a flight and and I just went straight to the to the plane and
0: went on. The worst loss you ever had? Oh, I would say finals of Davis Cup. But Novak said you played well. You competed well.
1: I know, but it's just, you know, especially because it was in Belgrade and I was young. And it was my first live Davis cup match and, and it just took a toll on me. And it was, I, I felt like I disappointed the whole nation. So you, you know, I was young and, and, and all these kind of things were very new to me. So I didn't know how to deal with it, but obviously, you know, you got to go through that. Who'd you lose to? Um, Radek Stepanek and, uh, Tomasz Berdic. That's tough
0: big entourage or lean and
1: mean well my entourage is i would say medium and um, how many many do you travel with normally i travel with a tennis coach and a physio
0: i think that's lean what do you do you believe that someone should have a big entourage or do you believe that they should keep it lean and mean
1: well i think depends depends like if you need a big entourage, obviously, if you're top ten and 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 you are uh, in a different setting and and you need more people, but but it also it's also very individual. I mean, you have players who are top ten, but they only like Daniel Medvedev. I think he has a very lean team. But on the other hand, you know, you have. Um, People like Novak and Rafa who take like fifteen people with them, but
0: you know right, Novak's got nineteen need... guys in the box, man. Come on, obviously That's
1: he a... need he need a yeah. <laughs> Normally my box whenever I play is full cool because
0: like I have a lot of friends all
1: around and 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 they all want to come and watch the matches. So Miami against Carlos
0: Alcaraz, my box had like I think twenty two people. Juzan Lajevic with uh, out Alcarazing the Alcaraz box in terms of uh, playing the box. Yeah. Don't ask me to take it, guys. It's... That's got to be stressful to get all those tickets. Oh, yeah. You know, the last few weeks we've seen, you know, Martone, Fukusevich, and Novak um, express some irritation with player etiquette. How are you feeling about the behavior of the of the association these days on tour? In, in, in which terms? Uh... Fist-pumping. Bom sing, all the histrionics that we see. There seems to be a Okay. Yeah. Well, um I feel like that the
1: younger generations they're trying something and they're finding themselves to try and be recognizable. And maybe they get a little bit lost in it. And I feel like the best way to be recognizable is just to play amazing tennis and win as much as you can. But obviously, you know, with you have Nick Kyrgios who led I would say that kind of movement where you are also a great showman on the court and and you're trying to have fun and and, and be there for the fans is something that brings all this, I would say, um, wave of players that want to be with like him or be similar to him or try something of their own that maybe resembles of, of his style. But, you know, I, I, I just feel like you gotta be, who you are and if this is who you are then this is who you are and if you are not being fair on the court then i mean obviously somebody has to address it but on the other hand i i i feel like tennis needs this and don't need this in terms of tennis is a different kind of sport it, it was a gentleman's sport for for many years and you know you're trying to show your best manners on the court and try to win and compete but You know, we're in 21st century and nobody has an attention span bigger than five minutes. So they all they're all looking for some clicks and, you know, some highlights. And and, and this is all, I think, very, very connected.
0: The legalized coaching experiment is in full effect. Your opinion, quickly. I think that's good. I think I think it should be like that because
1: anyways, there is coaching and and, um, the tours are not sanctioning it, sanctioning it
0: enough. So let it be did you watch the Netflix show and your opinion?
1: Honestly, I've seen only two episodes
0: and um,
1: I, I, I just, uh, I didn't see more just because I feel like I know all these stories and, and they're a little bit made for people who are not tennis fans to bring them into the sport. So for me, it was, it was somehow like, I know this, so I, I don't really feel the need to watch it. I did watch the F1 though. and and, it got me into the show, into the sport. TUEs, therapeutic use exemptions. It should be, um, it should be uh, watched more in terms of. It should be, how would I say? It should be um, more transparent and more. I mean, transparent in a way that doesn't hurt anybody because it's a very sensitive topic, and it's a very personal issue. But, you know, if if there is a room to wiggle and, and somebody is abusing it, I think there should be there should be somebody who can control it better or, or, or there should be more talks about it.
0: Is the prevalence of Adderall on tour uh, a, a, a real problem? Is that a real reality? Are you hearing about players? Oh, a-
1: I've heard about that, but but I don't have enough data to to um, comment on it. I mean. Obviously, I know what Adderall is and and, and I know what it helps for. And in terms of could it help you be better on the court? I feel like obviously it can because it is for, you know, being more focused or whatever. But I feel like, I don't know, I just feel like that these kind of things... uh, It makes me sad that these kind of things are real and not just rumors, let's put it that way. And if they are real, I, I feel like then... The sport is losing um, its value in terms of like, you know, you're you're just, I don't know, you're you're making it, you're you're ruining the sport that was all about who's going to be better with what they have, not with external help.
0: Let's move into the fifth and final set. This is the king of the court. If you could be the king of tennis and make a change in the sport with a swing of the racket with no aggravation, what would, what would it be? I'll, I,
1: I heard this from one player a long time ago, and I think it's a really, a really nice observation in terms of why I like it, is because I hate to play big servers. So he, he, he actually made the whole, I think, structure of how it would be where the taller you are, the further from the baseline you go to start the serving. So if you're really tall you go really far back to start the serving so everybody has like kind of like the same in terms of height play so that would be fun to playing John Eisner who's serving from behind the court I think I think that would be more fair
0: <laughs> We've not heard that you know it's funny Trey Walkie, who got to you know top 30 top 30 in the world many years ago said that he thought that that would be interesting on my show he said to adjust the stance of the server to even out the serve. He okay. thought the same thing. He's a, he's a, he's, a, he's a short player too. <laughs> <laughs> so,
1: so probably he would be serving from the service line.
0: You guys would go inside the line and then others people would go back. I get it anything else politically anything else um do you think the sport needs fixing Are you happy with the sport the time i think
1: i think i think uh what's really interesting and it's really close to home in terms of they really can make it happen is the video review the not ups the two bounces the Two bounces, the whatever you know. If if the referee didn't see the ball come into the court, you do a video review, and everybody see that the ball was in the court. You replay the point. If it's two bounces, you see on the video replay, and and I I think this is something the sport needs because you know it, it it engages more. I would say the fans would love to see the video review. It it builds up drama and gives more tension instead of like you know just players arguing with the referees because somebody made a mistake.
0: There it is. Duzan Lajevich wants the pronto, quick video review right up in the chair. Deal with it all in one shot. No mistakes on the court from the officiating. He's he's shaking his head. Yes, that's it. That's it. Um, listen, can't thank you enough. It's amazing the technology that we can talk like we're in the same uh, hemisphere and you're in Belgrade. Now, will there be parades What's the, what's what's next for the Novak Djokovic train here? Will you see him soon? Normally,
1: yeah, we live next to each other here. Um, but normally... Um,
0: you live next to each other?
1: Yeah, I mean, I was the first one who um, moved into this um, condominium. And then he followed me. Um, Filip Krinovic followed me. Nikola chachi's the double player guy, followed me. Hang on me a second. Lach- All
0: you guys live in the same building? Yeah. Oh, that's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> So, um
1: so, so you live in there's... the same
0: building as Novak? You buried the lead. That's what they say. We say you buried exactly. the lead. Exactly, buried the lead. Yeah, yeah. You buried the they lead. You didn't tell you that step. he's your next door neighbor. You are gonna go over to his yeah. house? When's he gonna be home? I don't know how he's
1: scheduled, but normally there is a parade when he comes. Everybody go and and and, and salute and 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 party and whatever. But I, I honestly, I don't know where he's gonna go from here because if he goes from Spain, there is no parade. But if he comes to Serbia, probably it's gonna be a parade and. We'll see, but <laughs> uh, yeah, the whole well, country. now we just
0: need Jokic to win, and then we're there. Listen, you got Jokic is about to go. He's about sick. He's about he's about ten hours away from uh, holding the cup. So, listen, congratulations to your country. Um, this was a pleasure. I expect to see you in Wimbledon. Good luck with getting those chicken pox. Uh, but don't pick those. Don't pick the scabs. Look at that. He's like, I, I didn't. I didn't don't pick I mean, the scabs that's oh, what they say alright Duzan Lajevich you are released
1: thank you very much
0: huge thank you to Duzan Lajevich and thank you to Diodora. see them at Diodora.com and be on the lookout as there will be more to come Max Loeb edited the show our music is by Brian Senti we'll be back next time with more of the most interesting voices in the sport until then I'm Craig Shapiro and you are released